Heavenly Father, I just want to take a moment before we begin and just cry out to you and say, Lord, I know that if this was up to me and depending on me and, and study and, and everything else, Lord, along those lines, I would, I would come up short in being able to relay what your word says. Lord, we know that there, Lord, there's a supernatural element to what we hope and pray for every single Sunday. And so, Lord, we pray for that again today. We pray for it every week. We pray for it again today. Lord, we pray for your spirit to be poured out on us in a way that is tangible, recognizable. Lord, that we would hear from you today. I pray these things now in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so as you guys know, we're in Luke, and we're just working our way through. And like I said last week, I'm so glad to be back in Luke. It's been such a, a great thing. Uh, before I really dig into this, I want to throw in a couple extra things here. Um, this particular passage, I didn't realize before I was getting into it, but as I started digging into it at the beginning of the week, I started recognizing there's some real challenges in this passage to understand. Like, this is one of those passages that normally I would just skim through real quick, think I got the basic gist of it, and move on. It seems kind of like, okay, yeah, and then I move on. I, I started to find, especially as I started to dig deeper, uh, that I'm not the only one that feels this way. John Piper, he wrote an article on this passage, and he called it a puzzling passage, right? Uh, I ended up about halfway through the week, I was talking to Paul, and Paul actually has, and I don't know how you have this, maybe I shouldn't be saying this on a recording, he has access to some library of articles and things, and he found some articles on this very thing. So two of them were super technical, just these long articles, just dealing with this passage and what's going on here. And even one of them at the very beginning said, this is a very puzzling passage, Okay, so that's what I'm, I was going into when I started digging into this, and I started recognizing, yeah, I, I see why this is a challenge. On a surface level, it doesn't seem that way, but the more you dig into it, the more you go, okay, there, there's, some, there's some weird, interesting things going on here. What does this really mean? What was Jesus trying to convey when he said this? Okay, that was the goal. So to begin painting that picture of what Jesus was meaning when he was saying this, I think it would be great to just stop and think about some pictures in our world that we see all around us that are very obvious and evident. We've seen them for, for generations. They make their way into, I think, almost every story we hear. And it's this idea of light and dark. Even in the Bible, the very beginning begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and there was darkness over the face of the deep. And then what does God do? The very first creative act that he does is what? Come on. Yes, let there be what? Light. And light breaks into the darkness. I mean, can you imagine if there was some way that we could watch that moment unfold? God speaking light into the universe, right? You see that light and dark almost against each other at times all throughout the scriptures. And like I said, think about, think about how often you hear this in movies. The bad guys sometimes are referred to as the forces of darkness, right? There's good, there's evil, there's light, there's dark. I think it works its way into so many things that we say, even uh, our phrases that we use. Sometimes when we think about light, we also think about these concepts of understanding. 
How often have you ever said, oh, I, I see the light. What are you talking about? I get it now, okay? Uh, or I'm still in the dark on this. What does that mean? You don't have a clue. You don't know. There's something hidden from you. Um, I've achieved enlightenment, right? How many religions would even include that as an aspect of their religion? Um, I see what you're saying now. Uh, I think about this one here in particular. It doesn't mention light directly, but think about this concept of seeing and understanding start to overlap, right? I see what you're saying. I don't actually see what you're saying, unless you're writing it. I guess I could be seeing what you're saying, but I don't see what you're... But what, what happens? And I have kids who say that. I'll be explaining them something in math. Believe it or not, every once in a while, somebody goes, oh, I see. It happens once a year. It's a great moment. Um, but you, I, I actually love it when you see, it, it's my favorite thing as a teacher, when you're explaining something and that light bulb goes on, even think about the terminology I'm using right now, right? The light bulb goes on. And almost every kid, every, is, I mean, I've been in school for 22 years, but you just think about probably everywhere on this globe, when somebody gets something, they all almost do this exact same thing. They make an exclamation, oh, right? And it's that light bulb moment because there was, there was a darkness and then all of a sudden it's like it's been, the light came on and you can see. One of the articles that Paul shared with me, I was, uh, uh, they said right at the beginning, he said the motifs, and, okay, forget the big words for just a second, or even the little words that you're like, I don't even know what that means, okay? The motifs of lamp, light, and darkness serve not so much to refer to specific entities as to remind the reader about the irreconcilable contrast between the realms of darkness and light. I threw that in there, even though I thought, okay, I don't what, what exactly they're talking about. I think it captures one important element. It's when we dig into this, you're not going to see like light is always this exact thing and this only, and dark is always this exact thing and this only. There tends to be a direction. There's this idea that light stands as opposed to darkness, and darkness stands as opposed to light. John MacArthur puts it this way, and I think I have this there. One of the things that we begin to understand about it in all of the examples that light reveals and darkness conceals. And there's a reality to exactly what this is talking about. In fact, if I just go back in Luke to Luke chapter 8, verse 17... Jesus is talking about this, and he says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So here is the first paintbrush swipes of understanding this text, and it's light and dark. And we're going to talk about those two things, or I should say Jesus is going to talk about those two things in this text. So I'm going to jump right into the first verse that I have for this one. But no, no, I'm going to... Let me take a step back. Think back to where we've been in Luke so far. I know it's been a while, but just from last week. If you go back a few weeks ago to the passage that we've been leading up through here, you see this. Well, let me give you the one that was the most recent. What were they seeking for? They were seeking for a sign, right? We want a sign. Had Jesus been doing signs? Yes. But yeah, they were like, can see it. You're going to start to see this play out more and more as we go through the rest of Luke. That there's a problem here, and it turns into, we'll talk about it in terms of rejection of Jesus. Is Jesus ultimately rejected by the people? Yeah. And he's sent to the cross. And there's this weird thing that's going on as we're like trying to unfold these things where it's like, why? I mean, have you ever read some of the New Testament and thought to yourself, why don't they get it? 
It seems so obvious, right? And I think that this is, this is one of those pivotal passages that starts to break down where Jesus is going to lay out, this is what's really at work here or at stake here. There's light and there's darkness. And some of that might be more than just what's going on outside of the person. There's something else that's happening. So now, okay, now let's jump into this. Luke chapter 11, verse 33 says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under the basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. This is an obvious proverbial phrase that is used. In fact, this is not the first time that Luke has quoted Jesus saying this. Luke chapter 8, verse 16 says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. This idea of this is the purpose of light. This is kind of like a duh sort of thing. This is what light does. This is what you do with light. This also is quoted by, G, uh, by Matthew. Jesus uh, uh, says it in Matthew 5.15. It says, Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And what's interesting about this already, and this is why this is a puzzling passage, is because all three of these quotes are so similar, but they all end up being used in a completely different way. Okay, so even though the, the quote itself is the same, essentially, they're all being used in a different way. And all of them, though, are basically saying the same thing. This is the purpose of light, and this is what light does. And I think what's happening here, light is meant to bring illumination. Light is meant to reveal things, and Jesus is no different. In all three of these cases, Jesus is no different. What he is doing is not being hidden. Is he doing all these things in secret? No, he's bringing illumination to the world. He will also call us to do the same thing. Eventually, you are to be a light to the world as well. But in this passage, he's going to take a little bit of a different direction. But think about this reality, and I'm going to tell you this. You have these people who are seeking after a sign, and John MacArthur put it this way. He said, asking for a sign, these people asking for a sign would be like a blind person asking you to turn on the light, right? Would that do any good at all? There's a different problem at stake. And I think we all know it in the text that we're looking at as we're leading up to this. That there's, there's something else. I mean, even when we read that, think about it. These people are like, could you give us a sign? I mean, how, how many things? I just, I can remember when we were looking at it, like, how many signs does he have to do? In fact, some of the, the, the fact that they were asking was just stemming off of a sign that he had just done. And you're thinking, how would you need another sign? What, what more do you need? And I think this is starting to hit on what's going on here. It's, there's plenty of light. It's all over the place. The world is full of it. I even think about the reality that when I, I look, I, I think it's Psalm 19 that goes back and it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. I mean, how, how can you not? And, so, I mean, we, we, and we think that, don't we? You look around at the world around you, you're like, man, the, God is all over the place. Just, just the, the fascinating reality of what life can do. It blows the mind. It's amazing. It speaks of a designer God that has worked all things out. And then you get into the, all the other things. I mean, think how often I've heard so many of you say, man, I knew God was in this because of this. Like, and you, you see the, these little connections of things. You're like, man, God was there. He's part of it. And like we look around, so many of us, I mean, how often, I mean, I know, I know Bill and Laura, they're going to be looking at that baby. And you heard, they're not just going to be thinking about the baby. They're going to be thinking about how amazing God is 
right? That is the reality. And, and I, think, I think for that, not just the infant, but that this is their grandchild. Like we marvel at these things. It's all around it, all around us. And yet some people, it seems like they just can't see it. I think that this is not just an issue with light out here, but there's also a problem with sight. I want to go back. Um, this idea has already been introduced a little bit. But I want to go back to Luke chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. This has been introduced a little bit already. If you go back to Luke chapter 8, I preached on this a while ago. It says, when the disciples asked them what this parable meant, and this is right after a, the parable of the sower and the seeds. And his disciples want to know what it means, and he's going to explain it to them. So when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. This is a quote from Isaiah. The reality of this quote is that it's a quote of judgment that Isaiah was pronouncing on the children of Israel. That it was the, ju- the judgment itself was that they would see but not see. They would hear but not hear. I'm going to go back to that quote from Isaiah. God tells Isaiah, he says, Go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So there's this concept of perception that someone can see but not see. You know, um, as I was thinking about this sermon this morning when we were going through our songs, I was sitting up here and I thought, you know, it's, it's very easy to begin talking about things like this and to, and I don't know how to phrase this, but to almost have a sneer as you say it. And, and I was just thinking to myself, I don't want to have that at all. I mean, there, there's a little bit of a, and I'm going to get more into this a little bit more clearly in just a little bit here, but I just want to start throwing this swipe of the brush in here as we're painting this picture of what Jesus is talking about. There's almost a bit of a, again, I can't think of what else to call it besides a sneer at those who are blind and can't see. God has not opened their eyes to these things. And I I've seen many Christians, or at least people who call themselves Christians, that they're looking at the world as not just a look of compassion as someone looking at someone that cannot see, but it's a look of disdain. I mean, understand when we're talking about these things that what is revealed here by Christ is that the issue that many of these people are facing, when you see them doing the things that they're doing, that just they, maybe they disgust you or they frustrate you or they annoy you, whatever the case may be, understand so you would be as well if God had not opened your eyes. I think some of us forget that. Some of us look at the things that the world is doing, we're like, I would never. You'd probably be doing worse if it wasn't for God. And, and it's, I, I, I want to make sure that as we go through this, I don't want to ever convey a sense of disdain or disgust or anything else. And that's one of the things that I, I walked away from this passage is that 
There's a reality. There's a grateful reality we ought to be expressing when we think about the fact that we have seen the light and there's so many others who have not. Okay? Let's dig into this, right? Let's dig into this. Um, Verse 34a, just the very first part of it. Jesus says this. Your eye, then he's he's going from light. Light's the purpose of light's everywhere. It's all around us. He's not hiding it. Right, and then he shifts gears into this, and this this is the part where it starts to begin to be a little bit puzzling because I, I don't think of the eye as a lamp shining light, okay? But this is what it says: your eye is the lamp of your body. Now I don't I I could I could so easily this is one of those articles really really snagged my interest. I could so easily go down a, a rabbit hole here of why it's phrased this way in the historical context. It was super interesting, Paul. I'm so glad you shared it with me because I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And I started digging into it. I was like, wow, that is so interesting. Um, I'll give you just a snippet of it. Uh, and I'm, before I tell you what, it, what this little rabbit trail is that it could go down, let me just say I'm, I'm just as okay with this statement as I end with the Bible saying, I watched the sunrise. Okay, if I said I talked about the sun rising, did the sun rise? Oh, we're on a ball that's turning, right? <laughs> the sun didn't rise. It looks like that from our perspective. I don't have any problem with the Bible talking about the sun rising, right? That's not scientifically accurate, but we all say it. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's the thing about this statement. There's a scientific inaccuracy, but it's, it actually speaks to something that's going on more than just physical. So dating back to, to hundreds of years before Christ, people, when they were trying to understand what the eye did, how the eye worked. Now, we all, we're all modern people and we understand what happens right light comes from a source it bounces off things it goes into our eyeballs right our eyes they do this whatever they're doing and our brain interprets it right we know that for hundreds thousands of years people did not know any of that and one of the things that they thought was that light would emanate from their eyes and go out and and see what was going on, and bring that information back to them. What's, what's awesome about it was I started reading all these things, like, for example, uh, well, let me give you these next two here. Uh, I, I shared one Old Testament one. There's actually a, a whole bunch of them, and I had to stop myself. I actually had a bunch of them quote them, like, okay, Matt, you're going down the wrong, this is not the important part. And I, so I backed it off. I left one in here. Um, the poor man and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. What, what is giving light to the eyes Mean Like when you read that, you know what it means, right? They can see. But that was rooted in a thought process that there was light that like for you to be able to see light, you had to have light. That's where it started to get interesting for me because that's not so far off from reality. You see other examples of this is when it talks about people who were going blind and talk about their eyes being darkened. Right, the light has gone out of their eyes. Or one of my favorite ones was uh, Jonathan, who who ate some honey, and it says his eyes brightened. It, it's all rooted in this idea that that's how the eyes worked. But there's there's something there that's not. I know that physically. See, we're we're modern people, and so we, we want to dig in. Well, that's not actually what. I, but I think there's something there, though. There's something there with this idea that that for us to to see the light, something has to happen. In here, light in here enables us to see the light that's out there. That's the, the idea, okay? 
I think it's no different for us when we say that the eyes are the, the, the windows to the soul. I mean, you ever sit there and think about that? Like, I'm standing up here, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm in this body. And I'm like looking out of these two eyeballs and looking at all of you people. You guys are all in your bodies and looking out and seeing everything. It's weird when you think about it. But, I mean, the, 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 the eyes become representative of perception and how we take in what's around us. In Acts chapter 26, Paul the Apostle is telling how he was sent by Jesus to be an evangelist to the world. He tells us that Jesus said that he was being sent to, and it says this, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. The very essence of what we believe as Christians comes back to this very reality that to see something has to happen in here. The opening of the eyes. We talk about it in so many different ways. We talked about it this morning like as being made alive or being given a new heart. These things are all overlapping. I think that the scary, and I want to put it this way, the stark, scary, scary reality here is to think about what this verse is saying. People are blind. They're in darkness and under the power of who, according to this? Satan. All right, let's go back to Luke chapter 11. He says next, when your eye is healthy, that word healthy is a word that could and maybe should be translated single. Um, it's trans- I think healthy is a great translation, though, because it carries with the idea, like if, if, I'm, if I was sick and I'm doing better, sometimes we'll say I'm, I'm whole, right? That's the concept that's related here. Uh, when your eye is healthy or single, of one single-mindedness we think of sometimes, but it's this idea that when your eye is healthy, your whole body, then Jesus says, is full of light. At the beginning of the week when I started reading this, I was going, where's Josiah? I need somebody, a philosophy major, to help me think through this one. What is, what is Jesus talking about? Your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. This is uh, in a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 6. It says the same thing. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body would be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body would be full of darkness. So you have this idea then now introduced of a healthy eye, in the sense of being whole, light enters, it penetrates to all of who you are. So a healthy eye is one that can now see. I hope that all of you in here that God has given healthy eyes to and you see the truth. That's the hope. That you're sitting here able to hear the words of God and then perceive it. Because think about the Pharisees that Jesus is talking to, was he using different words to them all the time? Sometimes no. Sometimes he's talking to the Pharisees and the disciples at the same time. And the disciples are hearing and usually getting it. The Pharisees, why? They're blind. Their eyes have not been opened to the truth. A healthy eye is such an important part of being able to see the truth. This is why when you sometimes, have you ever thought to yourself, if I could just explain it, if I could just say it just right, they would believe it, right? I'm sure my mom has had that thought several times in talking to us, if I could just explain it just right. But there's something else, isn't there? There's something else. Paul states in Ephesians 1.18 that that saving process, he describes it as having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? Like there's an enlightening process, not like some religions portray, but as we portray. 
in the reality that God opens our eyes. Or I think of Peter in 2 Peter 1.19 when speaking of the word of God, right? Literally, when God spoke to them on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's relaying that story. And then he says of the written word in relation to hearing the very word of God and then talking about the written word from the, the, the spoken word, he says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Do you see this again and again and again? This, there needs to be something on the inside. So pay attention to this, Peter says. But then we also have a sick eye or a bad eye, right? Ephesians 4.18 puts it this way. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. There's darkness in this world. All right. Are you guys with me? Are you sure? I feel like this is just very philosophical. But I think it gets down to an important little thing that's getting ready to be said next. There's a warning next. Verse 35. Therefore... Because this is true, because there's light that's all around us, and Jesus is, the, the light of Jesus is everywhere, but, but a good eye sees it, a, a sick eye does not. He says this next, therefore, therefore, because of that, I want you to do this. Be careful, lest, now, what? Lest the light in you be darkness. That's weird, isn't it? How could light be darkness? Well, I'm going to be honest with you, it can't. Light can't be darkness. Matthew 6, the parallel passage, he adds a little bit extra to it. He says, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Well, what is this? Sounds terrible, doesn't it? What, what, what does that mean? The light in you is, is darkness. There, yeah, it's, we know that, right? If there's evil. But how could someone, and, now, and I, if I put it this way, I think that you guys are going to start to get it. How could someone think they have light or enlightenment, but in reality be darkness? Do we not see that all around the world today? There, there are many, many people, and this is why I, I stopped a moment ago and I said I want to profess a, not a disdain, right? And I want you to be careful not to go that direction because it's easy. Not a disdain, but a sobering reality. Listen to this passage from Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians. He's talking about false teaching and he says this, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So not just good, but specifically even of Jesus himself. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of what? Light. So it is no surprise that if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. Paul says, people masquerading as light because Satan does the same. Is this not at work in the world around us? 
Now, this is where I, I learned of one example of this this last Thursday night. Everybody else in the room had heard it. I hadn't. I guess it's one of the benefits of not getting on the news. Um, did not had not heard about this at all. But um, uh, there's a billboard, I guess, right in California, Governor Newsom. Is that his name? Um, offering out-of-state abortion for people that are in states that have banned it, saying, you need an abortion, California is ready to help, right? And then the guys on uh, Thursday pointed out to me that, do you, do you see the small print? Do you see what he's got there? Who's he quoting? Jesus. Now, I'll give you permission for a few moments to have a little bit of disdain. Because that's, e- that's evil. But now pull it back. Because there, there's a reality that I, I think that we forget sometimes, and I think this is really important. You, you need to understand. We all need to understand that there are many people who, who, when they go and they think this direction, we see it for what it is. But they are very blinded. There are people, and I know that some of you, I know some of you, you cannot wrap your minds around this. I, I, but I'm telling you, I, I absolutely believe there are people in this world, people that many of us know, that if, if they were hooked up to a lie detector and said, are you doing this because you love people? They would say yes. They are so blinded that they cannot see it. And I want to encourage you. This is part of what I, I want to talk about today at the, just, just in passing is besides the fact that you're never going to convince anybody by your own words anyway. We use words, but that's not ultimately. Ultimately, there needs to be a work of God himself in their hearts to free them from the darkness and help them to see the truth. But I don't believe that you speaking angrily or annoyed or frustrated, or hateful. Those are just as much works of darkness as anything else. And God will never use your angry, hateful, spiteful self to bring anybody to the light because you're operating in darkness. And I can't skip over the fact that that might be just as dark and you might actually be the person that this verse is talking about. You think you're light, but you're darkness. You think you're a messenger of righteousness, but you're not because you're hateful and spiteful. You're evil. And it's easy for us to pinpoint it there, but we miss it in other places, do we not? And I hope that the people here in this church, I hope that we don't ever have that. Except a little bit with each other when we start to go that way. Because I was getting kind of mad just then, was I? I'm yelling at you right now. I said I didn't do that. Um, there, I just want you, I want you to see that. Can you see that? I, I hope that in the, the quickening work of God that you will see that if you've been operating in a hateful, spiteful, mean sort of way in this world, in the name of Jesus, that you are not operating in his name. And you ought to repent of your sin. And today may be the day that God has just opened your eyes and you go, I never really thought about it like that. This, this, guess what? God just opened up your eyes. You saw the light. Believe it. Receive it. Let your eyes be healthy in the light of Christ. Okay? 
I want to pinpoint another one. I'm only going to spend a second on it, but I have it in the slide, so I know I can't skip past it without you seeing it. But I, I know that another one that I see, and this is one that I encounter all the time at school, and this, is, this one is so challenging to know how to be a Christian in this situation because I'm going to tell you right now, I absolutely, I know I joke a lot, but I do love kids, okay? I'm in education, not for the paycheck, <laughs> in case you were wondering. Although that's nice. Um, but I, I have a passion for kids. And I go to school every day and I see kids that are just, they're so lost. And I don't want to ever convey anything that might be deemed as hatred towards. I don't want it that so badly. I've got kids that sit in my class every single day that are in homosexual relationships. And they wear stickers or t-shirts that say something like this. Love is love. And it's so hard to know how to address that in a way that is also the love of Christ. So hard to do that. I ask for your prayers, honestly, about it because every single day, you know, when I've got a kid in my third hour class every single day that comes up with her lesbian girlfriend and, hey, Mr. Arnold, that's so good, you know, and you're just, and to, to be welcoming and loving of that, that child, knowing that what they're doing, knowing that they're, they're but I, I think that what helps me is understanding that they are absolutely blind. They cannot see it. And to them, the darkness is light to them. That's what Jesus is talking about. What if, when the light in you is darkness. And that's exactly what we're experiencing. I think there's a lot of things that we have for years before we even got to this one that ruffles some of our feathers so much. There's been a lot of things we've been excusing under the guise of love, has there not? I don't need to read that. The, the warning was, therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. I want to say this. The proof is in the pudding, so to speak. Okay? One of the things that we're going to begin to see, especially in the, the very next passage that we're going to dig into next week, we're going to begin to see that this is not a new idea that Jesus is going to avoid. He's going to hit on it again and again and again and again and again. That just as much as we're looking at it from the one side of saying light, for light to be able to come in, there needs to be that opening, that, that opening of the eyes to see. The other thing is also true. When, when there's light within, that Christ has opened up your eyes and you have that light within, it affects then how you perceive and see and eventually what you end up doing. And this is where he's going to go next. This is not a new idea. Let me just give you a few examples. Um, how about this one? Luke chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 7 both talk about good trees bear what kind of fruit? Good fruit. Bad trees do what? Bad fruit, right? Figs are not gathered from thorns, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. That's Luke chapter 6 as well, Matthew chapter 7. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, and Matthew 12 talk about the evil man out of his evil treasure produces evil. 
You see, again and again, there's, there's something going on. This is, this is where we're going to go next with this, part of this warning. This is why it is a warning. There ought to be at some point, and this is, goes back to what I said at the beginning, there ought to be at some point, if you're producing vile, hateful, evil speech and actions, if you're an angry person and you're, you're, you're hateful towards people and you, you have no compassion for the world, I'm telling you, that's coming from somewhere. And maybe the problem is that within you, it's not light yet. The lights have not been turned on. And you are so convinced that you're in the light. Dare I say it again, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is why it's so important. When you apologize for something, not to say, I don't know where that came from. That wasn't me. No, the problem is that was you. That came from you. Repent. That hateful thing you said, you don't, don't act like you don't know. Where'd, where'd that come from? I don't know where that, I'm such a nice person. I don't know. No, that was you. You said it. There's nothing outside of man by which, by, there's nothing outside of man which by going into him can defile him, but the things which come out of a man are what defile him. Jesus teaches in Mark chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 15. What comes out of a man is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they are the things that defile the person. I want to end on a positive note, though. Verse 36. I didn't know what to do with this one at first, um, we were listening to a sermon from John MacArthur yesterday on the way to go see Josiah. And man, he nailed it this, this last part. He says, if then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. I was like, what? I didn't know what to do with that. And listening to John MacArthur, I was like, oh yeah, that's what it is. There's this hope then that once the light is switched on, God's light, what he does in you, so and this is why I say I end on a positive note, because if you're sitting here going, I am kind of a hateful person, maybe I don't have, well, I, I, I dwell on that for a little bit, question it. Is the light on? I think that's a great one to wallow in, okay? But I also want you to know that if the light has been switched, that doesn't come on all at once, does it? Some of us, it's a slow process of that light beginning to infiltrate every nook and cranny of your heart. Your evil, sinful, vile heart, the light starts to shine. And the hope is that eventually, every dark part in you will be fully exposed to the light. Isn't that great? I want to share Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to close on this one. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. This might seem like a a slightly different direction, but I think it's the same, the same concept. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 to, to 21, it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Now, this is Paul the apostle, and he's praying for the people of Ephesus, and he's, this is where he's praying for them. He said that, the, that God would do this thing, give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, revealing in them the knowledge of who he is. 
And he says this, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know, quoted this one earlier, what is the hope to which he has called you? But then feel, feel the build, okay? That you may know the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Paul is praying that those people would know it, and I want to pray it as well for you. That you would know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Whatever vile, wicked thing that has been at work in you, God is more powerful. And the immeasurable riches of his grace is going to begin to work in and through you in ways that you could never possibly fathom. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. What a great God we have. Our world is a dark world, is it not? It's full of darkness. If you're sitting here today and you know the truth of who Jesus Christ is, that is purely and simply because of the very grace of God at work in your hearts that's opened your eyes. I would encourage you that to be a light in this world, which he doesn't address in this passage, but we know this from other passages, to be a light in this world, to convey that light, it's going to happen by the same grace that he bestowed upon you that we ought to be bestowing upon others. I'm going to close right now. In my closing prayer, I'm going to pray that God would give us the wisdom to know how to do that. Because I'm with you. There are days where I go, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. I, I don't want to be unloving and unkind. I also don't want to be approving of works of darkness. Lord, how do I merge those things the way you did? I want to be like you in this world. Can I pray for you for that? And pray for myself? Let's do that. Heavenly Father, I want to close today by asking now, Lord, if, if these things are true, if the, the, the morning star has risen in our hearts, Lord, we, we don't sit here with that truth and that knowledge as if we're above or beyond the rest of the city of Danville. Lord, we know that if we are enlightened, it's not because we are just so much smarter. Lord, we are a bunch of idiots. But God, you have poured your grace on us and you've opened our eyes when we did not deserve it and helped us to see who you are and the goodness of your grace, and that you came to this earth and died on the cross and, and took the, all the penalty of our sin. And then you made us alive. And now we have eyes that are open and see. Some of the things we see, Lord, as we observe just the world around us is, is disturbing. But Lord, help us to see it with, with a healthy eye that is full of light of all of who you are. Help us not to look at the world apart from that. Lord, I pray then that that light would then begin to infiltrate every part of our being. Give us the wisdom to know how to respond and how to act. Lord, let that light be just emanating out of our pores when we're in this world. 
Lord, I believe wholeheartedly that you can do that with every single person in this room. There's not one in here that is beyond your amazing power to use for your great works in this world. There's not a person in here that, God, that you cannot use. I believe it. And so I pray that you begin doing your work like you do. Be with us through this week. In Christ's name, amen.